This is the Resilient Schools podcast on the Bee Podcast Network. I am the creator, Jethro Jones. In this podcast, we help schools become resilient, which means that they are able to adapt and overcome any situation that presents itself. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Transformative Principle slash Resilient Schools podcast. As you know, I recently started this new podcast called Resilient Schools, and I think that my topic today really goes well with that. So we're going to simulcast this on both of those shows. Um, I'm excited to have Dr. Henry J. Turner here on the program with me today. He's an award-winning high school principal, author, and nationally renowned speaker. He is most proud of the collaborative community he works within to empower students to fight hate and bigotry in their school. Pointing to his unwavering commitment to equity and a student-centered culture, Henry was named the 2020 K-12 Principal of the Year by K-12 Dive. Henry is the author of the newly released book, Change the Narrative, How to Foster an Anti-Racist Culture in Your School, published by DBC Inc. As a national speaker, he shares his experience as an innovative instructional leader, passionate advocate, and committed anti-racist educator with educators and organizational leaders. Henry works with educators, leaders, and communities on how to create a culture that commits to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and empowers students' voices and addresses economic and racial disparities. He has a bi-weekly newsletter, Lessons on Social Justice Leadership, that can be found at henryjturner.com. And if you want to go way back in the archives, you can go back to episode 88 from Transformative Principle, which is a long time ago, where I had him on and he talked about uh, site visits in that episode, and then I had him on for a second time in episode 89. So we've been talking about this stuff uh, for a long time, and Henry especially, this is not a new area. So Henry, welcome to Transformative Principle. It's good to be with you again, Jethro. Thanks for having me. Oh, man. Um, I'm excited to talk with you. What's so funny about this situation is that somebody else said, man, Henry's awesome. You should have him on your podcast. And I said, okay, that sounds good. And then I uh, messaged you and I was like, that name sounds so familiar. <laughs> and went back and sure enough, you have already been on the podcast. And it's great when uh, you get a repeat referral saying you should go on this podcast and you're like i've already done that that's awesome <laughs> it was a great it was a great exchange because it was it was uh it brought me back to a while a, a while ago when uh we we connected and uh definitely a different place uh in my in my work and, and as a principalship hopefully i've learned a lot more and uh really excited that it brought us back together yeah so that was all the way back in 2015 and the title of that uh, podcast, uh, episode 89, was Facing History and Ourselves. And, you know, we talked about how how you were using this anti-bullying program, uh, Facing ourselves, History and Ourselves. And I just think it's, um, it's really amazing to see how lives go and what, you know, what paths we take and, and, and where we're at. So now you've got this book about uh, being an anti-racist leader. So let's, let's talk about first, what does that mean? Um, to be an anti-racist teacher or leader in a school? So an anti-racist leader is someone who um, believes that uh, racism exists in our society, that uh, race is a social fabric that has been created uh, in, our, in our society, and that, um, that our schools were um, built with that, um, that, fab that fabric as well, and that our, our work as educators is to 
um, if we believe in all students excelling is that we need to acknowledge the disparities that exist, the problems that have um, created those disparities and how we um, address them so that um, all students can, uh, can achieve. And, and, and what that means is uh, thinking through an equitable lens, one that um, uh, thinks about um, what do students uh, need uh, what is the, their uh, culture? Um, how do I make sure their culture, I respond to their cultural needs? And how do I understand the societal, um, societal impact of racism on particular students? And how do I address them uh, in my school? Yeah, so I, so I have some issues with the term anti-racism. One of which is that it paints us into this black and white type of mentality what is what is the the purpose of that what is the the benefit of of starting there and then i have a follow-up question to that after you answer that one yeah so um when you say black and white i'm not sure if you mean uh either or uh or or racially but i would say that um you know from you know that, that we do need to understand that um you know, school, and we actually talk, spend a good amount of time in the book talking about this, is that school was founded on separating students. <clears throat> that, you know, what students were going to go to university, what students were going to become managers, what students were going to uh, uh, be workers, and, uh, and what students were excluded. And that's the history of our, of, our, of our system. And that has had, that history has had an impact on how students feel connected in our school. Mm-hmm. And so um, I don't, uh, see that to mean just um, the African-American story, but actually the story of, of all students of color. So whether it's uh, Asian, the Asian story, the Latinx story, the Native American story, um, that um, you know, there are structures and systems in our schools that show students that their school is not f- for them. And I think that that is true for other ways in which students identify as well. And uh, the reason why um, I think it's important, and I think it goes back to, you know, your question, you know, when you mentioned that our first conversation we talked about um, facing history in ourselves, is that we have to understand the ways in which students feel disconnected in order to connect them. And race is one of those places where we tend to avoid because we feel like it's hard. Um, and what I, what I suggest is that if we focus on race, we're going to be able to focus on the other ways students identify, whether it's income, whether it's gender, whether it's, um, uh, uh, whether it's uh, sexuality, any of those areas, because race plays a role in all of those places as well. And, and I appreciate that aspect, that if we can talk about the racism part, the, then we can talk about the other areas where kids are separated. So going back to what you said originally or earlier, that school is founded on separating students. That is absolutely correct. And we, we separate them by age, by sometimes by gender, sometimes by race, sometimes by their capacity or where they can go to. And the other thing that's really personal to me is separating kids based on their disabilities. And and that's an area where that is, there's still a huge amount of segregation in our schools as it relates to disabilities that that kids with disabilities are very often intentionally very separated from the rest of their peers. And that's not good either. So any of these things that we do to divide or separate us 
is what the challenge is. And you actually answered my second question in your response to the first one, which I really appreciate because it is about that. Like, is this just about race or is this about any kind of separation that tries to uh, uh, separate kids out into these arbitrary distinctions that don't really matter in the grand scheme of things? Is that a fair way to ask that? Does that make sense? It's a, it's a fair question. What I, what I would, uh, I'll give you an example, I think, to help answer the question. But the, I'll answer this in a different way, which is that uh, when I arrived at my school, um, 25% of students were, were um, on IEPs, which is way above the average yes. uh, in, our, in our state. Um, 50% of our Black students, 5-0, 50% of our Black students were, um, um, were on an IEP. And so... One way to try to address the overrepresentation that we had of just students with um, disabilities is to understand what are you know why 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 do so many students have an IEP? Is it that every student is disabled, or is it the process that we're that we are using to identify students with a disability who are not making effective progress? If we ignored race, if we used a colorblind approach, there we would miss that fifty percent not even so double what the school percentage was, which was already um, high, right? Which is already high. <laughs> yeah. Right. We would have missed that if we didn't consider race. And, and if we didn't understand, and if we didn't understand the history of overrepresentation of black students on IEPs, we may not have asked that question. Right. And so it is true that, um, that the approach that um, we use in our book, and I think the, the approach that we've used as a school to uh, address disparities, also help you to address the disparities, the uh, bias, the hate that um, exists for other groups as well. However, it allows you to do it in a much more thoughtful way because you're recognizing that race plays a role in all of these areas, right? So if we just say we're just gonna focus on uh, uh, students with disabilities, but we're not going to talk about race. Well, you're missing that race plays a role in how, in, in how your school um, works with students with disabilities, right? If you're just going to focus on, um, you know, students who are low income and you don't recognize race, then you're, you're going to miss an important part of that, of that, of that narrative. Mm-hmm. And I do think that one of the the good things that came out of No Child Left Behind is that we started looking at race in test scores and achievement and things like that, that we had never disaggregated that before, at least not systemically. And and that did bring about that um, that new idea of disaggregating and seeing which populations were, were more heavily impacted. And I remember... Um, my first couple of years teaching, I was at an inner city area in Salt Lake City, and um, and we had large populations of Polynesian and Mexican and African American communities, and we could see that our school was doing well overall, but because of those looking at those minority groups and how they were doing, we saw that they were had a much higher failure rate than the rest of the school, but the school as a whole looked good. And so I think, I think your point is, is valid there and a wise approach to say, 
you know, we have to recognize that these things do play a role and find a way to, to deal with it appropriately. Before we move on, let's hear from our sponsors. Now, a lot of, a lot of school leaders are nervous about starting this conversation because they think that it'll be divisive. What advice would you give them about those nerves of being, of being scared about starting it? <laughs> yeah. And I'd also just say to your, to your, to your uh, first point is that, you know, the, you asked the question, what's, what is anti-racism? And I'll say the definition of racism that, um, that I use goes all the way back from the 1970s, which is it's a system of advantage based on race uh, from David Wellman. It's the same definition that, um, uh, that is Beverly Daniels uses is in uh, why do all the black children sit together in the cafeteria in the 1990s. It's one that she uses in her 20th edition in, in, in 2018. And Ibram Kendi in um, How to Be an Anti-Racist says that, um, you know, pushes us to, to recognize who is, uh, is racism, uh, who are we blaming uh, for these disparities, right? And so to your question, when we have students who are uh, who are not doing as well as other students, certain racial groups who are not doing as well as other, other racial groups in a school, is the question, what is wrong with these students? Or the question, what is wrong with the school? Right, and I think uh, that's, that would be the, my, my pushback to No Child Left Behind is that it, it placed, uh, you know, placed a lot of blame on the, on the students. And I think that the thing we need to ask is, you know, what are, what are we doing as a system? What are we doing as a school that's not allowing students to, to flourish and to, and to thrive? And I think that that's the way to help other leaders to recognize the importance of this work, right? That the importance of this work is because I believe, and you know, the research shows is that um, Ed Week did a, did a study um, in 2020, 80% of educators want to do, uh, you know, racial justice work in their schools. And, um, you know, the pushback is that, is the, you know, the stories that get promoted, I think, you know, problematically, which is that, you know, we're, that talking about race is really talking about white students to feel bad about themselves. That's not what this is about, right? And it's the same thing with bullying is that it's about teaching students to stand up for others, right? That's the same thing as anti-bullying work. So that it shouldn't be controversial and it's just, you know, it has been made controversial in our society, which I, which is why I understand the pressure that leaders are feeling. And what I would say is start small, right? Like I, we, I believe that a lot of leaders want to do what's right for all students. So start small. So it may not be looking at your, um, you know, your special ed data. It, it, it may not be looking at, um, you know, ways in which your grading is, is inequitable. It may just be, how do you make sure the students are seen, right? And so the easiest thing that we did in our school is that we allowed students to write in their student information system how to pronounce their name. It's the easiest thing that we did. Teachers want, you know, teachers feel bad when they mispronounce a student's name, right? And a student, by the time they get into high school, they've heard it for 13 years of their life, you know, of someone mispronouncing their name. And so... We allowed students to write it phonetically and in um, our student learning system, you could, they can be recorded um, saying their name. And so a teacher hears that. So on day one, a student feels seen, right? That's anti-racist and it's student connection, right? It's, and it's SEL. So to me, it's, 
you know, we don't have to think of this work as, um, you know, as, uh, as something that's going to push you into feeling um, something that your school's not ready for. Uh, you can start with some small steps to help your, your community to see that we want students to feel connected in their school, to feel empowered in their school so that they'll be successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I really like about that example is that my name is Jethro and even though it's pretty clear how to say it phonetically, it's <laughs> some people still struggle with it. And I have my whole life gotten questioning looks and, and weird, you know, comments about my name and different things like that. And one thing that was insured was that I was seen because I had the attention because of my unique name. And, um, I, it, it really does matter that someone does feel seen and it means the world to them every time when they're seen positively. Let me clarify that, (laughs) you know, by saying their name correctly, for example, I think that's, that's really good. And that's not something that you, you know, you have to do a ton of extra work to make happen, but that's a really simple, easy place to start. And I really like that um, because it's affirming to everybody and making sure that everybody's seen, not just some kids, you know, sometimes we go overboard and we do something to, you know, really make sure that the, whatever minority we're looking at is, has the attention. And then we say stupid things and do stupid things that don't actually help the situation and make them feel even worse. And I've, I've seen several examples of that in my career where an attempt to be, you know, supportive turns out to be uh, totally inappropriate. And that's not what we want to do either. I t- totally agree. I, th- I, you know, I think that, um, you know, a, a classic example is uh, by reaching out to say that, you know, you're working on a, histor- a history of um, you know, Chinese immigration and you reach out to a student uh, who is uh, Chinese American you say, you're Chinese American. Why don't you give us this, you know, your perspective on yeah. this you know, history, right? You represent the entire group, right? And so the intent is good. The impact is bad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and because it's about, uh, you know, you're putting pressure on a student. And so, um, you know, the way to, uh, to way to make, allow students to feel included in your class is to empower them, right? Is to help them to, like we said, with the, you know, with the, with the, pronouncing their name to help them to feel seen, to help them. What are the things that you need, right? To feel empowered in the class. What are, what are the way, what are the topics that are going to, that are going to trigger you? What are the topics that are going to impact you? Um, And building a relationship with a student so that they feel comfortable that when, you know, regardless of what the topic is, they can share their perspective, right? You know, another example that I would uh, say is, is problematic is, um, you know, let's say you're reading, a book like um, Huckleberry Finn, and you you know you allow for a class debate on whether we're going to use the N word or not, right? And um, you know, is that empowering to students? Sure. Does it create an unsafe environment for students, particularly those who are offended by the N word? Absolutely, right? And so recognizing the impact, so recognizing the impact that particular topics conversations may have on students. It doesn't mean that you don't talk about why the N-word is used in that book, right? But you talk, but you as a teacher help to create a safe environment 
So, and, and to avoid a place where students feel like, well, I didn't, my, you know, I just got shut down because I'm the one black student in the class, mm -hmm. right? How do you make sure that's safe? How do you make sure they feel seen in your class or, or just these important steps? Yeah. So you gave a, a couple of good negative examples. How about some good other positive examples besides the, uh, how do you pronounce your name in the student information system? What are some other ideas that people could do to start wading into this? So I, so I, so I always think that, um, you know, building relationships with students is the number one strategy. And so uh, creating uh, agreements cre uh, with students, um, you know, what are the ways in which we're going to have discussions, um, helping students uh, to, to, to know uh, your, your value system, that we are going to talk about some challenging things. We're going to talk about uh, race. We're going to talk about other types of difference. Uh, and I'm going to help you to develop the skills to be able to talk about uh, these kinds of topics and to bring them along through a series of strategies. And part of it is doing some identity work initially. So asking them, you know, what is uh, your first experience uh, involving race or racism, right? Allow them to tell their story about it and to, and to share it. The way in which I do that activity is the person shares with another person. There are no questions. There's no engagement. It's just letting that person tell the story. Um, another activity that you can do just as a warm up, really early on in the year is a name, uh, is a name activity, which is, uh, so my name is Henry Jamal Turner, and I'm gonna share the history of those three names. So Henry, I got, I'm the fourth Henry in my family. I got it from my father and kind of shared that history. Uh, Turner, uh, share what I, you know, what I know about the Turners and share why I got my, my middle name. We all love talking about ourselves, right? And like you just shared, like you, you know, with, with, with your name, you have a story behind it. And we, you know, we can, we can spend a long time talking about that. That helps us also learn both the name activity and your history uh, with your first history with race allows us to realize that talking about race doesn't have to be um, uh, hypertense, doesn't have to be stressful. And sometimes we may laugh uh, and, and be an enjoyable. And so those are good ways to really, uh, to, to help bring the topic into your classroom. And then as you're bringing in layering your, your content, so whether it is, um, you know, history content or even in math classes, we you know we have statistics teachers who are bringing in, um, uh, statistical disparities that exist in our society. Like when you bring that stuff in, you've had a long uh, process of being able to talk about race, talk about your own relationship with race, that students feel more comfortable being able to talk about it and understanding the different perspectives that exist in the classroom. So what do you say to those who say that these examples that you've given are too fluffy and they're not real and they're not really addressing the issues? What's your response to that? So I would say that that's the way to begin the, the work. I think that if you want to talk about um, uh, systemic racism on the first day of your class uh, without creating any structure or support, you're creating an unsafe environment for your students. And so you, it, so talking about race really begins with talking about us. Uh, and I think in the beginning of the year, you need to uh, do this, uh, you know, real SEL focused kind of ideas, relationship focused strategies uh, so that you can then be, uh, build into topics that are, are more challenging. I think, you know, if you're reading a, a, a book that, um, you know, where race, race is, a, is, a, is, a, is a theme, is your first book, 
you want to be thoughtful in terms of, you know, is this going to create stress where my class, my class feels un, or students feel unsafe in my classroom, particularly my students of color? Or is this one that helps the students understand more about themselves so that we can get into, uh, you know, some of the, the more challenging components of, of, of our society? So I think that's just effective teaching, right, is to help focus on relationships uh, build over the course of the year so that you can get into the more challenging conversations. I think an all right, all of debate on the first day of school is not going to uh, end, end well or being a good learning experience for students. Right. Because you don't have that trust built up yet that allows you to push. And Dr. Zaretta Hammond talked about this when I interviewed her a few years ago. She said that you need to have that relationship so that when the tough conversations need to come, then you can have those tough conversations. And it's not enough to just say, we're going to talk about this now. We're going to talk about race and how people are racist and how our system is racist and and just throw that on people the first day. That doesn't make anybody feel comfortable because it's it's too much too soon. And so what would you say about if you've done this in your school how important are these relationship building things, even if you've already had difficult, deep conversations at a new school year to start out the year? So I think that this, so I think going back to this point that I made earlier, which is like, who are we, who are we blaming for the, for the problem, right? Are we blaming our students? Are we blaming ourselves, right? And we're reflecting on how we can be better. So I've heard, you know, many educators say, well, whenever we talk about race, my students of color never want to talk. Well, is that because the kids are the problem or is there something that I'm doing in the classroom that's not Mm -hmm. making them feel comfortable, right? And so that's, you know, that is the reason why we want to focus on relationships. We want to focus on community in the beginning, recognizing that, you know, uh, in my class, in our classroom, it's, this is not competition, right? Uh, This is about all of us learning together, how we support each other, and that it's important to learn with people who think and learn differently with me. You know, it's why, why you know, I really advocate for thinking about um, uh, how our leveling system sometimes can prevent students who learn differently from learning together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we build a community recognizing that we think and learn differently and build that community of support so that when we get into some of the harder topics in the middle of the year, that foundation exists. And students then can come to me because they trust me as the teacher to say, hey, I did not feel okay in that class, right? Mm-hmm. So that I can help I can help them. I think the last thing that, that I want to do here is share a story with one of my students who um, was a an African-American student who was always getting into trouble and he wasn't really getting into trouble himself, but he was very loud and he was very big. So all the attention was on him anytime he was around. Um, he just, he just stuck out is really all there was to it. And he, he wanted to be a good person, but felt like he was always put in compromising situations over and over and over again. And the whole entire year I had, dozens and dozens of conversations with him about how to make good choices and do the right thing. And he just struggled mildly, not to mention his home life that was difficult and all that. And I'll never forget three days before school got out, he got in a fight. And at this point, he finally said, I was scared. I didn't know what to do. And 
for him to actually say that to me means that he had to trust me enough to be vulnerable about what was going on. And I don't think that this was was anything that I did particularly except that I cared about him as a human being and treated him uh, how I think was fair every single time. And after all this time, he finally opened up and it, and then our relationship was over. Like school was out three days later and and he wasn't my student anymore. But the reason why I bring this up is because later, like a year and a half later, I was at the high school. I was taking something in, and I had broken my foot, and I was on a little scooter, and I needed some help. And who walked up late to school was this kid who had just struggled mightily. And he was going into in-school suspension. But you know what he did? He offered to help me. He opened the door for me. He carried the box I was bringing in. And he, he was a good kid who was just trying to do the best he could with what he had. And it was so hard to see him that way because of all the trouble and stuff that he got into. But once once I broke through that barrier and he could trust me and I could trust him, then we were able to have a good relationship. So, But it took all year long. And, and we want things to happen sooner. And because we have good intentions, we want people to know these things about us right away. But it takes time, even if we're trying really hard. So sometimes people might get discouraged and think this is this is not going anywhere. I've worked with this kid or this class all year long. Nothing's changed. What words of hope would you give to people in that situation? So two points. One is that um, that's an awesome story. Uh, I, the question, you know, if you shared that to me as sort of like your end of the year reflection, I was your your administrator. I would say maybe go ask him, what did I do over the course of the year for you to feel comfortable sharing that with me so that I could help future students um, sooner um, and make that connection sooner? And the second is, is that I think it's pretty amazing that, they, that he told you the last day of school, because sometimes we don't know the impact that we make on students until several years right. later. And, um, you know, a very quick story is that um, it's actually the beginning of our introduction in, in the book is uh, the story of a student called Jamari and Lamari, excuse me. And um, she, um, she came back from uh, to speak with um, a group of students, uh, students of color, she's a black, uh, black female. And she um, shares the story about how she had um, imposter syndrome uh, when she was at this big public university being one of the few black students in this math class. And she thought, am I gonna, you know, am I gonna fail? Am I gonna succeed? And she realized uh, in this you know, lecture hall statistics course that not only was she you know, well-prepared, but she found herself tutoring two white male students in this class. And she recognized the moment of her, um, you know, as with, you know, in two, ident- two groups that have t- traditionally uh, have not felt welcome in STEM, here she is tutoring two, two students who um, you know, STEM has been re- very welcoming to, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so I think to me that shows that you know, our school did well preparing her to understand that moment and to do well in statistics, right? Both are important. But additionally, that story is, shows that you, know, you never know the impact that you make, right? And here are the students sharing the story when she came back from college, 
we finally learned that wow, we made this this kind of difference in this kind of in this student. Yeah, that's awesome. I I think that that is so much in education. Like you said, we we hear about the good things way too late, and you know the reality is is we are making an impact even if we don't hear don't see it right away. If Absolutely. if we're doing the right things, and if we're doing the wrong things, we make a negative impact that can last forever. And you know, I I think if we just put in our best effort every single day, and and do what we can with what we know, then we're going to be able to find success. And if we're constantly looking at ourselves and saying, "How am I doing in this? Is am I making the right steps?" I think we'll be able to see the ways that we can get better. I uh, just want to thank you again, Henry, for coming on the podcast. It's awesome talking to you again, and so glad that somebody else referred us. Uh, appreciate that, Steve, at my Flex Learning. That was awesome. Absolutely. Really appreciate the conversation, and uh, thanks again. Hope to, hope to do another time as well. Yep, and if you want to get his book, uh, Henry J, henryjturner.com, uh, you can follow him on Twitter at turnerhj. Thanks again, Henry. Have a great day. Appreciate you being here. You too. Thank you.